Welcome to Deep Dives into the Bible, where we take our time and go deeply into God's Word. I am Father Michael Nasser from St. Nicholas Orthodox Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Today we will focus on Matthew chapter 19 in our discussion of Matthew, which is episode 77. We are here with members of our St. Nicholas family, and so happy you've joined us, and let us begin with prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Illumine our hearts, O Master, who love us, mankind, the pure light of the divine knowledge, and open the eyes of our mind to the understanding of the gospel teachings. Implant in us also the fear of the blessed commandments that trampling down all carnal desires, we may enter upon a spiritual manner of living, both thinking and doing such things as are well pleasing unto thee. For thou art the illumination of our souls and bodies, O Christ our God, and to thee we ascribe glory. Together with thy Father, who is everlasting, let all holy and good and life giving spirit now endeavor into the age of ages. Amen. I uh, I tuned in actually to the recording because I couldn't remember exactly where we left off, and I have to tell you, you're an entertaining group to listen to. <laughs> so I would encourage the the questions, the discussion. It really is fun to listen to, and I I just I went from listening to get some information to just enjoying the conversation. So. You don't want to try that one to, to get just different different experience listening to it recorded. Anyway, we are, as I said, in Matthew 19. I had to go back and look because I think we stopped in the middle of the section we were looking at. And I just lost my page. Let's see. If I remember correctly, we were looking at verses 16 to 30, but we got to about verse 23 and then we ran out of time. Um, and towards the end, I made a couple comments I'll remind you of as sort of context to begin. We're going to look at um, Jesus's teaching on wealth. And the few comments I made, uh, one um, is that based on the section above, um, one of the issues we have to look at is where are the real riches at? So we have the riches that we think are real riches, money, things like that. Comforts, luxury. Um, and then there's the riches of the kingdom of heaven, which Jesus is talking about, but uh, we often see the tangible much more powerfully than what can't be seen and touched and, and experienced in, in physical, immediate ways sometimes. So that's the background of that. And then the second thing I said was, uh, we're all rich. Because sometimes we hear this, and if we don't consider ourselves rich. We go, well, this doesn't apply to me. Um, and I can tell you, having traveled uh, to Africa, having lived in Mexico, um, by the world standards, we're all rich. Uh, I've shared this before, but the number one health risk factor in America today for the lowest income levels is are the, the issues around obesity. That tells you about how poverty works in America. It's not still a terrible thing. It's horrible. It's difficult, but uh, it is not the poverty that that the world tends to experience on 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 the whole. So this is this is for all of us. No, none of us are exempt. Um, so let's go into this in this section. We'll look at twenty three uh, through thirty because I think it's it's. It's one of the most challenging sections for some of us. It's also, I think, one of the most enlightening ones. Not that they all don't have their own points, but this is, I think, really, really powerful. 
So would somebody read for us then verses 23 through 30 of Matthew 19. I will, Father. Thank you. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said to them, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Then Peter answered and said to him, see, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. All right, thank you. So sometimes we hear these read separately. We hear often uh, verse 23 ending with 26. So that's this discussion about um, Jesus saying, hard for rich men enter the kingdom. But by the way, don't forget the context that this is coming, and that's the section before, 16 through 22. Remember last week we talked about the young man who came, and he asked, you know, good teacher, what must I do to be saved, or what to enter eternal life, keep the commandments, and then he says, you'd be perfect, go and sell everything. And the young man heard, heard this, and went away sorrowful, he had great possessions. And that's where Jesus starts this saying about, it'll be hard for rich men to enter the kingdom of heaven. So that's the context. Um, it's a, it's a striking um, sort of turn because he talks about, obviously, the commandments. The young man, and we talk about being perfect, completing his journey, would have to sell everything, give it to the poor, uh, and come and follow Jesus. Um, and Jesus is now going to address this difficulty, which I think all of us, if we're honest, will admit to. And that is, it's hard to let go of what we have. And the question we're going to answer throughout not only this next first half of this section, but the last half is what do we have and what do we have to let go of and what do we have to hold on to? Uh, but first we're talking about money possessions because that's what the young man was told he needed to do if he wanted to complete his journey to be perfect, go to the teleos to the end. And Jesus says, we hard for rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Does he say why? No, doesn't say why. Doesn't say it. What does the context tell us? Context tells us that because the rich man wasn't willing to give up his lust for money, that uh, he couldn't enter the kingdom of heaven. Or not couldn't, but it was harder for him to enter the kingdom of heaven. Being one with a lot of possessions and I don't think it's just possessions, but it's your attitude toward them. You're, you're, you're not, if God is asking you to do something, you, you refuse. 
I think that's the essence of what's going on here. Yeah, because the man we can imply he doesn't go back and sell. He goes back where he saw he's really powerful, where he had great possessions. And I think I think you know, Rick, you're right. And especially if you look at it in context, the question is, what must I do to enter eternal life? Keep the commandments. Which ones? He goes through them. What do I still lack? In other words, to be perfect, to finish, means you're continuing a journey. So there's a continuity here between the commandments and having supposedly done all of them, if we will take him at his word, what does he still lack? There's no commandment that says that we all have to go and sell everything and give to the poor, right? You don't find that anywhere right. in the scripture. Right. But because he didn't do that or he wasn't willing to, I think that's where you're, you're on to, Rick. It was his unwillingness to part with it. In other words, there's a connection between observing the commandments and being willing to part with our possessions if that call comes. And he goes away sorrowful because that's not what he's deciding to at this point. And then I think it, the Jesus really ties it together. He says, when I save you, it will be a hard for rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Don't forget, that's the first question. Right? What did the man ask? What must I do? Now, does it mean we all have to do that? He's not saying that. What he is saying is this man, that's what if he wanted to complete his journey, that's what he needed to do. But Jesus is not saying it will be hard for that man to enter the kingdom of heaven. But it's hard for, for a rich man. In other words, all, all who have wealth, it's hard to enter. And then, right, you know. Go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. I was, no, I'm sorry. Um, I can't help but think of the Orthodox teaching about passions and how this uh, this might connect to, to this teaching because we all have passions that we're holding on to, whatever they are. And I think that's the that's the maybe the lesson for us to examine what our passions are and what we're willing to you know, like give up. Yeah, uh, that's a good point. Because, you know, when you refer to the passions, it sounds like you're referring to the most of us do, which is the negative expression of them, right? When we talk about, typically talk about the passions, we're typically talking about uh, the movements for things that are not good, right? Our greed, our lust, our, uh, you know, all those, our gluttony, all those things. But you're right, maybe we're more, more right than you know. The passions are all originally good desires for good things, right? So God puts inside all of us hunger. When we need to eat, we get hungry. That's a good thing, right? If you didn't get hungry, you know, sometimes when we get busy, we go, boy, I forgot to eat all day. When do you remember it? When you're not feeling well, you're feeling a little lightheaded or a little dizzy or whatever. So that good desire for a good thing, food, is a good passion. What a lot of us do with that good passion is we morph it into the craving for either the wrong thing or the wrong amount of the right thing. And that's where I think the passions you're referring to. Uh, but why why do you see this as, as important to this idea? Because he's, he, like you said, he isn't specifically saying we all need to give up money. Right. But he, he, is, he is saying that 
because this person wasn't willing to go that that route, that it's easier for you know, easier for someone who doesn't have that to get into heaven than somebody who does have that love for, for money. And then maybe I don't know, maybe I'm taking it too far, but then I, you know, think of well what about the person who doesn't have money? What would be the what would be the lesson for them? Because they could always say, "Well, I'm gonna, you know, I'm, I'm good because I don't have any money and I don't have that, I don't, I don't have those possessions, so I'm good." But I think we all have passions. I don't care how poor you are. Don't you think that like Christ individualizes um, his call to each one of us? Um, we're not all going to suffer with the same passions. Um, for him, he came to him and said, what must I do? And then Christ told him directly, and he just ignored it and just went away. Like he didn't really, I don't think he really wanted to know what he had to do. Um, because when Christ told him, he didn't want to do it. But for somebody that, you know, has a different, um, maybe different personality or different thing that really gets, and Christ probably comes to them with other things <laughs> that we have to get rid of or we right. have to do that are kind of unique to whatever our ailment is, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, and I think there's a clue. What does he tell him to sell? Everything. Everything. So read your translation. Okay. So yours says what you have. Mine says what you possess. I think mine's a little more powerful a translation. A translation. Um, mm -hmm. But let's go what's in common. The things that I have, how do I describe them? I say these things are mine. Mine. <laughs> so whether I use possessions or the things that I have, you get the idea. It's inherent in, in either way, however you translate it. But I think one of the things he's telling us is there is something inherent not in the quantity or the what we might call the intrinsic value. It's the fact that they're mine. <laughs> right? Or that I call them mine. Or that I consider them mine. Or they're my possessions. That idea of, of ownership, of what I want by what I have, what I control with what I have, what I can control with what I have, I think it's a little more clear than just saying, go and give away um, money, give away furniture, give away houses, give away your possessions. Mm. All right, do those things that we, by definition, claim to be ours. And why do we claim them? Because we value them, we 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 find safety in them. We find security. security. We might even think we find happiness in them. Although, if we're honest, that's not as always true when we analyze things as we think that it's going to be. Um, and and in some ways, if we're not careful, possessions possess us. My uncle used always a, a phrase. Um, his phrase was. Don't be a slave to your car, let your car be a slave to you. Right? So we could, could mute his 
coming in there. Um, the idea was, you know, a car is there to serve us. It's there to facilitate, hopefully, good things. But a lot of people enslave those with a car, right? Out there shining it and you got to give it everything that, that makes you really like it. And it's, it's, it's easy for possessions to not literally, but in very powerful ways, possess us. But I think that either way, there's a, an important idea in that end possession. So what does he need to lose? The things that he is holding on to. The fact that it's money, it's, it's what he's holding on to. What was that? That somebody said something. We're getting feedback from Rick's phone or Susie's phone. They just need to okay. put it on mute. Okay. Except Father, I want to ask you something, Father. Yeah, go ahead. Um, this is Rob. Um, when you're consulting, or I want to say consulting, meeting with people at their last hours. Um, at the hospital or nursing care facility or wherever, um, do people say, oh, gosh, um, I, I wish I had more money or I, I wish I had more things? Um, because in the end, it doesn't matter. Everybody has their little cliches. You know, you can't take it with you or whatever. Um, what, what are people's feelings at that point in time dealing with possessions? What do you hear? And I'm not asking for, for particular quotes, but general consensus never once <laughs> it's never come up <laughs> um what tends to come up is not what people are happy about their choices it's what they what tends to come up is what they regret and they never regret not making more money they never regret the fact that they could have worked more but they didn't <laughs> um it's, it's almost always regret at their actions, but more commonly, it's what they would consider the misplacement of their priorities. They put their time and their effort and their focus on things that ultimately were less important than, in general, the people in their lives. Isn't that so, what this passage is about? Yes. Yeah, but I think, and I, you're bringing up a good point. But it's about not waiting till you have that moment to have that realization. Because like I said, it's expressed in regret. They don't say it like, uh, you know, Father, I want forgiveness so I can be happy about it now. They say it in real terms. They can't do anything about it at this point. They can't go back and remake their decisions on where they put their, their most precious resources, which were not their money or, or possessions. It was their time. It was their energy, their focus. So I think you're right. It's about that, but it's saying don't wait till it's too late to realize your priorities. Funny, I recently read a book called Die With Zero, and that's exactly what the book was about, not waiting till the end. It's it's not living as a pauper either, but it's if you have things during your life you want to do, if you want to give to the church or give to your kids or you want to do this or that, do it while you're living. Don't wait till the end. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah, and I would say, I think it's a great theory, but and along the way, you want to die with zero, but you want to live not needing anything. And let's be honest, that's hard. And this is where it's for those who have more, it's hard because they have more to let go of. 
But for those who have less, somebody asked, what about those people? For those who have less, they feel sometimes entitled to hold on to what? What is theirs? The little they have. And that's why I love the passage that, God willing, we're going to have iconographically of the woman who puts her last two pennies in the temple treasury. And Jesus praises that act, not because he wanted to see the temple treasury's financial report and go, oh, look, we're in a good place. Because he, he knows that our attachment to these things in this world keep us from attaching to the next. Remember, the whole context of this is the question, what must I do to have eternal life? And that goes through the commandments, it goes through the possessions, and then it goes through this whole thing about the, the camel going through the eye of a needle. Right? The idea is a journey. And this is a good transition point to say um, it's hard to, for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then, thankfully, we don't have to ask too much of what he means because he says, again, I tell you, it's easier. And, and notice the coupling here. There's difficulty and there's ease. So they're connected, right? It's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for rich men enter the kingdom of God. Now, some of us have heard different interpretations of what this camel going through the eye of a needle. What have you heard that means? I've heard that... Sorry. I've heard that there's like a gate or something like that in the city of Jerusalem. It's called the needle or, or the eye of the needle. That's what I've heard. I don't know if that's true or not, but yeah. what about what about going through it? That's all. But what it, do you know anything about, about what it is or you have to unload the pack of the camel? Yeah. Your camel, you gotta unload the camel, you gotta let go of all the stuff because it's not made for a camel loaded to go through. The idea it was a a way to stop an invading army from getting in quickly. So I've heard things, I've never looked this up to see if it's true. Um, but the camel has to be unloaded. It has to sometimes they say it has to kneel and kind of you know inch its way through. All right. Somebody else, Coley, did you start to say something? Oh, it just just uh, it's impossible because uh to the Western mind, it's the needle is something that an implement of sewing, and so the thread is the smallest unit with which you're going to be, you know, putting through the eye of the needle. And uh, anything else is going to be far too big, especially a camel. Mm -hmm. But those were the, I agree with uh, Elaine, and uh, those are the only two interpretations I've ever heard. One, that there's no way a camel, being that big an animal, can go through the eye of a needle that's being used to make something or to go into the city of Jerusalem. And so, again, easier, he says, <laughs> then it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is obsessed with something other than God to get into the kingdom of God. Well, I'll agree with you, but he's not letting us out that easy. You're too kind. <laughs> he says easier than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Yes. So. I, Father. Well, yeah, just hang on just I, a quick second. The 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 love or the attachment of the rich is, rich is obviously the core issue but you don't 
we, none of us get to escape the difficulty. In other words, if we have riches, yes, the way through it is to detach. And yes, that's hard, but we, we can't escape that difficulty. So in other words, again, the money is not the problem. It's, it's the difficulty that the riches, according to Jesus here, automatically supply. You cannot escape the difficulty that the possessions are going to present. Does that make sense? Go ahead, Susie. I don't know now if I'm kind of duplicating or um, repeating things that have been said. I, when I have read this and thought about this passage, I always think that a camel, you know, strips down and all it has is its body to go through. And he says a rich man. He doesn't say a man. He just says a rich man. So you have right. the sense that the rich man does not strip down and just go through. That he is carrying all the baggage that he's carried through his life. And um, he can't shed it like that, like that big, huge camel can. And um, perhaps that expression was used because of what Catherine and Carolyn uh, referred to. Um, about that gate, and that's why it was mentioned as the eye of a needle, perhaps, especially at yeah. that time, you know, when it was spoken and they could relate to that and understand it. And yeah. as Coley said, Deacon Nicholas said, you know, we're used to the eye of a needle being an implement, you know, um, and we don't even think the camel can get through. But but it's it's just interesting that we – you know, we've often been told you're, you came into this world with nothing, you leave with nothing. But, right. um, we've, you know, they're also unearthing archaeologists, all kinds of tombs where these wealthy people were buried with everything they had. <laughs> you know, yeah. all their gold, all their silver, all their jewels and things like that. Um, and I just think physically that I'm trying to visualize that camel and I can see that camel squeezing through but if you figure all that we're trying to take with us <laughs> all through our lives and when you say don't wait till the end father but be doing it now so there's right. no looking back and regretting and also we have often said we are slaves to our possessions mm. and there is freedom with every bag of clothing we give to the goodwill Okay. Right. Every every old appliance or something we're not using that we give to the Salvation Army, there is a sense of freedom that we're letting it go, and also a sense of happiness that somebody else can use it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I learned that in a powerful way. Ironically, when I was on my pilgrimage this summer, I have never spent so much time thinking about and planning what I would wear. Everything from the material of the socks and the underwear, the wicking ability of the shirt, the quick dryability of the pants, the rain repellability of the jacket, the, the size of the backpack. So ironically, there was a lot of focus on it, which like I've never had before. But Susie, when you say freedom, when I packed my bag in the morning and it got in there, a few you know changes of clothes, and toothbrush and a few other things, I was free. I could go anywhere that my legs would take me because I didn't have to load the car and, you know, stock the shelf or 
you know. So, I, yeah, I experienced that that freedom, but it comes with the the need to let go. I remember we were in we were in Paris, France, and Elaine was getting ready to fly back, and I had a suitcase that I'd had with me on the cruise on the way over, and so when she was flying back, she had the chance to take my suitcase back. So I remember the night before going, okay, well, this is my chance because whatever I don't send back with her, everybody else's suitcases were more than full. She had the one, you know, uh, ability to, to ha- take another bag on her ticket. And I remember thinking, like, I have to let this stuff go. I remember even um, my cassock. That was the last thing I finally decided I could let go because I thought, well, I might go to a church. I got to look like a priest. I got to put something on. But it really it just didn't fit. And so I thought, well, I'll have to figure out something else if I run across a church and ended up borrowing a cassock. But yeah, that that difficulty of letting go of every little thing uh, was a was it was a good lesson for me. I mean, it was a lot of little things that I needed to let go of. And it wasn't easy. Um, so I wanted to ask what y'all heard about the, the you know, needle and the, the camel and all that, because they're probably all true to some degree, but it doesn't matter <laughs> because after he says, again, I'll tell you, it's easier for camel to thrive the needle than for rich men out of the kingdom of God. Then what's the disciples reaction? The disciples heard this. They were greatly astonished saying who then can be saved. So you'll notice they they realize what he said. Number one, it's not just hard, it seems impossible. And you also notice that he said it's a it's easier for the camel to go than for a rich man. Their response is who then can be saved means that's everybody. So when I said earlier that we're all rich, yes, it's true in terms of of global standards of poverty, we're all rich. What this is telling us is that statement applies to everybody. Otherwise, their question doesn't make sense. You follow me? When it says, who then can be saved? The implication is, whatever he said, if that applies to everybody, which they assume it is, then the question becomes, well, then who can be saved? And this is where the next verse becomes what explains everything. Um, but then Jesus looked at them and said to them, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. What that means to me, Father, is that um, the point being that man can do nothing to save himself. He can't accumulate enough to satisfy the just demands of a holy God. And he, and therefore, you can't put your trust and, and security and salvation comes with what you have and and you can't get into heaven that way no more than a camel could go through the eye of a needle and they said who then can be saved and jesus i think replies by saying god saves yeah you can't save yourself it is only by god's grace that any of us are going to be saved yep yep it's impossible with men in other words if it's just us it's impossible now this is the tricky part. Does with men this is impossible, with God all things are possible, mean that 
with God, it doesn't matter what we have? Or does it mean that with God, we can let everything go? <laughs> I was listening to that podcast this morning, and he says, God just appreciates it when we try. <laughs> we try to take a step in the right direction. Yeah, that's true. Is that good? I mean, I think we're I think we're talking about the condition of your heart. And and I think that last night's service was all about that. With with Christ coming into the world and giving us the chance of salvation. I mean, over and over again, I I can't quote the words, but that's what was hitting me last night there and it just it just reiterated over and over again in our, all of our services, really, if we pay attention, is that, you know, he's he's bringing that to us. We're not, like, earning it or whatever. Right. Yeah, and how does he complete his journey? Well, he begins it by being born with literally nothing. And and leaving with nothing, including having give up, given up his life. Now, he'll get it back in the resurrection, but he gives up literally everything. Yeah, he didn't even have a grave. Right. Yep. And then I think another, you know, again, we when we look at the scriptures, we could read a lot into it. But when we keep reading, the thoughts get completed for us. So with men, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. Then Peter said, I reply, lo, we have left everything and followed you. What then shall we have? And that's when Jesus says, in the new world, the regeneration. What do your translations say for that? Lo, Assuredly, in the you say, say again, Susie, sorry. Is it assuredly I say to you that in the regeneration... When the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory. Is that it? So there, yeah, yours says regeneration, mine says the new world. So we could, you know, assume this is the kingdom, this is the, the life to come. When the Son of Man so, shall sit on his glorious throne, you have followed me, will sit on twelve thrones, judge of twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, brothers, sisters, father, mother, children from or lands for my name's sake, receive a hundredfold inherent eternal life. So there's an inverse relationship between what we have and hold on to in this life and what we have in the next. And you'll mm -hmm. notice in that list, he never mentions riches. He does mention lands. But before he gets there, houses, and then brothers, sisters, father, mother, children. That, this is one of the hardest things, I think, of all of Jesus' saying. I think it's one of the hardest things. And he says similar things in other places. Leaving those things for my name's sake is how we gain hundredfold and hair eternal life. Father, what does that mean? Uh, Car Carolyn, ask a question and we'll get to you. Hold on a second. I don't get why judging... Uh... These things, that's, that's, I don't know, get why judging is 
a really good thing to, I mean, you know, well, I don't know. I just, I've never, I've never understood why that would be a really good thing to, to be able to. Yeah. Do. And it's not judging like, oh, that person's terrible. All right. right. What gonna... position does a judge hold? What power or position? What what authority? I guess they just I don't know they discern or they think, think about it even in the modern sense. Here we are in America, where by definition we are all equal, right? We've gotten rid of the king. We we the people in order to form the union, right? We are and we hire and fire our elected officials. But we go into a courtroom, and it's the one place most of us only encounter hierarchy in the United States of America. The judge sits above, right? He wears the equivalent of the jibby, right? I always ask, Nick, do you ever get confused which robe? Do you ever wear your jibby to the court and bring your court, your <laughs> judge's robe to the church by accident? Because it's the same, same garment, right? It's, it's the symbol of, of someone of authority. And we address him, your honor, right? And if you if you act improperly, even in the United States of America, with all of our, we're all equal, he's in charge, right? So that's, I think, the sense is, on the one hand, they're saying, we've left everything. So we gave up riches, we gave up even families. We, get, we What do we get? Now, you might even say, like, what an awful question. Yeah. Right. In light of what has just been discussed, uh, where you're asked and instructed to give up all to follow God, and St. Peter says, we did that, what have we got? Uh -huh. What are we going to get out of Yeah, it? but Jesus doesn't rebuke him. Right? If it was a bad question, Jesus would have rebuked him. Yeah. Now, if he said, what do we get here, then I think he would have got a rebuke. Yeah. Right? Um, and maybe that's what he meant. Either way, Jesus answers it in the way that Jesus wants to teach the whole thing. I think this ties in everything together. And maybe Peter was thinking, what do we get now? We've left everything. What do we get? Like, do we get a reward? But he says, in the regeneration, or in my translation, in the new world, when the Son of Man, when I sit on my throne, you sit with me. You are at the same level as me because you've done what I've done. He left father. He left, quote unquote, land in the, in the kingdom to come down and be, be here. So, again, I think there's this inverse relationship. Whatever we amass here becomes a problem for us there. Whatever we lose here becomes a gain there. Because he doesn't dismiss the idea of um, what we get, right? Look at the terminology. Uh, whoever leaves, blah, 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 verse 29, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. He doesn't say possess. He doesn't say get to hold on to, but he does say receive. So there is reward. It's just reward. Um, ideally, I think what he's trying to convey here is it's re re reward without possession. It's gifted. But you get what you get there by letting go of what you hold on to here. That's, that's the, I think what puts, you got to see that 
if you look at the whole thing as 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 sort of the the framework, you got verse 16 with the question, what must I do to have eternal life? And then you have um, 29, we'll get to 30 in a second, with you leave everything for my name's sake here, you're going to receive a hundredfold eternal life there. And that's the bracket. That's the, the framework that everything in, in the middle, I think, is, is held together by. Do you think it's significant at all that he mentions, first of all, the 12 tribes of Israel, even though at this point 10 of them are scattered, and that he doesn't mention the Gentiles at all? Yeah, I want to go. I, I was going to go see if I had. I couldn't remember if I found one on that or not because I was. I had the same question. What is it about judging the twelve tribes of Israel? And I, I may have that. I can't remember. It was a while back when I went and marked everything up. But if not, remind me and we'll we'll look that up. Yeah, I, I was interested in the same thing. It's interesting when we did our study of of Revelation. How many thrones around the throne of the Lamb were there? Anybody remember? 24. 24. And I've heard different interpretations of this, but one interpretation is 12 of Israel, the tribes of Israel, and 12 of the new Israel. That's one interpretation. Somebody else sort of refuted that, I've heard, but there's there's different ways. But that's one way that, to me, makes sense. 24 is, it's it would be hard to make the argument that it's not related to 12. There are other ideas. And then I think verse 30 kind of all, all sums it up in another way, too. Many that are first will be last and the last first. The rich man and Lazarus. Yeah. Those who enjoy so much on this earth but have no inventory in heaven, when we get into the glory, they will have many, much and the others will be impoverished. From that standpoint, spiritually speaking. Yeah. I like the illustration that's given of the guy who gets to the pearly gate. This is anecdotal, of course. And uh, um, St. Peter takes him down past beautiful mansions, down to a one-way street. Down at the end of the one-way street is a cul-de-sac, and he shows the guy a lean-to shed and says, this is where you'll be spending eternity. And the guy goes, but I thought the scripture said there's a mansion prepared for me. Uh, we've walked by all these beautiful mansions, and this is where I'm spending eternity. And St. Peter looked at his list and said, well, to be honest, we did the best we could with the material you sent up. <laughs> so uh, it's a transference yeah. to the kingdom. Uh, they have given up all these things on earth in order to follow Christ. And Christ says, you will receive a hundredfold in return plus eternal life right in my kingdom right yeah that that story jesus tells of the rich man and lazarus is important because in the story abraham doesn't say why they're in each place other than to say you in your lifetime receive good things and lazarus evil things and now he's with me and you're suffering there it seems like it's just you're gonna you get one life to suffer and one to enjoy, and you got to pick which one you want. However, I think we can't ignore the context. That rich man had a poor man on his doorstep. I don't think that. Yeah, he. I, I don't think that's that's accidental. Literally, the man had to either step over him or step around him, um, and he didn't even get the crumbs that that came off the table. So, I, I think obviously there's there's not just the it's not just, you know, how much do you have now? 
but partly I think there's there's what what are you doing with it? And we can't give if we're holding on so tightly. And there's also the Another comment or question earlier, like somebody online. I didn't have one earlier, but I have one now. It, it, I'm reading the way of the ascetic right now. It just seemed it, it doesn't seem to make sense to to that this life should be horrible. I understand we're supposed to deny ourselves and follow Christ, and He suffered, so we should suffer. It's I just have a hard time. I can see why it requires a tremendous amount of faith. And yeah. I thought I had a tremendous amount of faith. <laughs> what are you hearing that says this life should be horrible? Well, I think you were just saying that. If it, if if what you have now, it will be the opposite of what you have in heaven or something to that effect. Sure. Yeah, but I'm saying that you can't just look at that because in the story of the rich man, Lazarus, he had the man had all that he had because he had not been helping Lazarus. Right. That's one of the key points of, of that that section. So maybe I'm misinterpreting then, really. I mean, well, it's, I think, in other words, this life should be a struggle. Yes. Yeah, I think I think you can say clearly, if we're not struggling in this life, it's it's the other, you know, it's Jesus saying, you know, the man who said, you know, actually, I think it's this Sunday's gospel. You know, I, I, I have all my possessions, my I'll build bigger barns, take my ease, eat, drink, and marry. And the, re, the response from God is fool. This night your souls required you, and your things, who's they going to be? Right. So the possessions are, they're important. It's the connection to them, I think, is more central. But in other words, you, we can't say that we're not connected, we're not attached to them if we're not letting them go. To some degree, we have to be letting them go, and I think really willing to let all of them go if that's what needs to happen. Well, I think another thing, um, just being in the, in the financial practice for all the years that I was involved with that, I can tell you that the more people have, the more they want. And then they right. get more. Uh, it's, it's like anybody that owns a boat. Guys are terrible. We have a boat. I want a bigger boat. You've got three engines on yours. I want four engines. Uh, I've got this car that's really fast. I've got another car that's faster than you. Um, you gave a sermon years and years ago, and it's still, you know, I, I reflect back at it. When are we going to be content? If we're yeah. gathering things and buying things, but that make no difference. We're, we're not going to be content because we just buy more. Um, it's not until we finally realize what we have is from God, and we should be thankful for that. And uh, live a different life, not of consumption. Right. right. Yeah, and I think this actually addresses your point and Sam's. Um, think about the most 
joyous moments of your life. And not just because something happened to you, but the joy when you did something. All right. The joy in response to an action or decision you took. So think about that for a second. Anybody not have an example in their mind? So I'm not going to ask you to say it out loud. Don't worry. Everybody has one? Okay. Yes. yes. Was that an instance of your giving something? How many say yes? How many say no? How many say yes? Yes. Everybody's not here. Yes. Okay. Yes. That's, that's the antidote. That's the opposite of the why can't we become content with what we get? Because you never get enough. Uh, there isn't it kind of like it's not so much what your possessions are, but what you do with them? Yes. And the fact that you're either willing to give them or you do give them. That's where the contentment comes. So I didn't tell you all how to set up what your joyous moment is going to be. I said, make sure it's something that's an, uh, something that you do. And we all came up with an instance of giving. And I think that's that's proof that if you might, if you want to call it the law of Christ or the law of God is at work in us, that's what Christ did. Christ comes and he gives everything on the cross. And on his way to the cross, he gives everything, right? Just by becoming, as, as Rick was saying, the, the text of the, the Advent practices was all about what Christ came to give. And we want to be among those who can see that and recognize who he is. And we're going to do it by giving up. Right. It's it's not accidental that we're in a fasting season, which is by definition giving up. Right. We fast with the idea of giving up of the things we like so that we can give away our money, our possessions, our time, our energy, whatever. That's the idea that there's a there's a relationship in our prayer and fasting and almsgiving is prayer and fasting is giving up of our time, of our self-will, of our desire. And then that gets translated to what we give. In almsgiving, there are, I, I can't uh, have time to go through them now, but lots of instances in the Old Testament where God criticized the people because they were offering worship, but they were ignoring the widows and the orphans. And He says, "Like your incense stinks in my nostrils, and I can't stand your your hymns of praises because you're neglecting justice and mercy." <clears throat> Excuse me. So. That idea of giving um, and the fact that we find joy in it tells us that this is not just what should we do. It tells us what's real. And, and if we're holding on too tight to what we have, then we're depriving ourselves, and again, of eternal life. This is where we as Orthodox differ from a lot of our Western brothers and sisters. We, you don't hear in the Orthodox Church what you do here, and then going to heaven. <clears throat> Excuse me. You don't hear that terminology because Christ has already brought heaven here. And what's our example? The saints. The saints lived earthly lives, but lived heavenly lives. In fact, we call the monastic life the angelic life. They let go of everything, and they live like the angels. So, Eternal life is not just what happens after this life. It's not like one life ends and it begins. We must do to inherit eternal life. 
it begins here. And when we give, we, we kind of have that feeling of the joy of letting our stuff go. Like Susie was saying earlier, you feel free. You let it go, and it's not a loss. You gain something from it. And I think it's, that's, if there's proof of heaven, it's that we can experience touches of it here. Father? Yeah. Um, I think the writer of Proverbs gave uh, some wisdom, too, in chapter 30 and verse 8 of Proverbs, many years before Christ came. Uh, the writer of Proverbs says, But give me neither riches nor poverty, and appoint what is necessary and sufficient for me. Lest being full, I become a liar and say, who sees me? Or being poor, I steal and swear by the name of God. In other words, whatever I have need of, give us this day our daily bread is the prayer of the one who wants to follow Christ, I think. Yep. Yeah, and that's a, it's a hard translation in English. We have it as daily bread. And in the one sense, the bad understanding is, you know, sort of give me what's coming to me today. Like, but there is a sense of it's my daily bread. It's really what I need because the word is not daily. It's not what I need today. Um, Father Hopka has a beautiful reflection on this, but um, it's give me the hyper substantial or super substantial, that which I absolutely need. And that gets the sense of, of the proverb you read. Give me exactly what I need. Not more, not less. Give me there, there's two ways the Father has translated that or understood it. One is give me what's essential for today. Give me the essential bread, what I need to get through and to live and survive today, not more, not less. The other understanding is the super essential or hyper essential, that which is the only thing was the, which the only bread which is essential, which is the Eucharist. Give me that super essential bread. So you could see where where they could take it both ways. And some, I think it's the combination of both that says, give me that. That's what I want. I want that which is essential for me uh, to, to live. Are you saying that, that may not necessarily be food? It, it could be teach me a lesson or something like that? <laughs> well, he says bread. So it, it could be literal. I think it could also be figurative is, is what we need. Yeah. Maybe what we and let's be honest, and we could talk for another hour on this one. Sometimes what we need is suffering. Sometimes what we need is to be knocked down a couple pegs and to be humbled in ways that we haven't allowed ourselves or humbled ourselves. Sometimes what we need is to be humbled by God. But that's that's for another conversation because our time is up. <laughs> Thank you, Father. Thank you all. Father. Thank Have you, a Father. Great day. Thank bless. you, Father. By the way, Huri Diane says hello. Sends her love. Uh, tell her we're waiting for her to join us. <laughs> She's going to watch this Sunday. I mean, right, uh, not this Sunday, Sunday uh, for Deacon Dave's ordination. Uh, right. But tell her we, we want her to join us for Bible study. Okay, I'll let her know. All right. Take care, everybody. Bye, bye everyone. See you next bye, week. Bye, everybody.